and welcome to another episode of the View from the Podcast. I'm joined as always by Yeah, good, thank you. How about yourself? Well, bad. Surviving the international break and all of its uh, joyous, enthralling news that comes with it. Um, I joke. It's, uh, there is uh, obviously with the return of the Premier League things to discuss, which is why we're hopping on to do so. But there is um, there there were some things that went on obviously over the international break, including Eddie and Kessie, I think, from the England debut. Um, the hope that some injury news might come out, of course, will be. Uh, Actually, five of the acts London Tony tomorrow uh, for Nicholas at press conference. So everything at Chelsea. We're going to talk about that Chelsea game a little bit as well. Uh, and then next week on our podcast, we'll talk about that game uh, probably after the Sevilla uh, match as well. And let's head to that next Premier League game too. But let's let's kick on with the international break itself. The big news, I suppose, of it uh, in Arsenal perspective was Eddie and Kepler's debut for England only in the friendly. He wasn't moved from the I have to admit, I didn't watch it because I've been on holiday for the past few days. Um, it didn't sound like I missed an awful lot in that England-Australia game. It sounded pretty no. turgid, to be honest. But uh, it's good news for Eddie. I think it's um, maybe a bit of a surprise that he was called up to the international squad after this window. It wasn't a surprise when he got called up in September because he started the season really well. But maybe since then, his form hasn't quite been at the same level. But it's, it's good for him to be consistently called up to England squads because called up across multiple squads. It's a sign of how much Gareth Southgate rates him. I, I think with England, what they try to do is they try to create a pathway for those under-21 players who come up through the age groups and then eventually hopefully make it to the first team. And I think Nketiah is a really strong example of that where he's been with the 21s, he's their record goal scorer and Southgate re- referenced that in the uh, the clip that was going around on social media of him giving Nketiah his sort of ceremonial cap after his first appearance. And I think that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to reward him for his form of the 21s. They wanted him to have a strong enough club form to give him the license to call him up to the squad. And he did exactly that at the start of the season. And listen, the Euros are coming up in the summer and, and beyond Harry Kane, there is a space to be taken there in terms of the backup striker. And Nketiah will hopefully fancy himself for that. It's tough. There'll be competition. There's Callum Wilson, there's Ollie Watkins and Ivan Tony will be back by the time that the summer comes around but I think there's a real strong case if Eddie Nketiah can keep up with the amount of game time he's getting at the minute and hopefully do a bit more on the pitch for Arsenal then maybe he can start to think about getting into these England squads and maybe think about the Euros because he's played lots of big games for Arsenal this season he's played the North London derby played against Manchester City which is the biggest game in the Premier League he played against Manchester United played pretty well I thought against Manchester United as well so if he keeps getting experience in those games he'll have something that none of these other England strikers have so Obviously, Callum Wilson is playing Champions League, but not starting all the time with Alexander Isak. Ollie Watkins is doing very well at Aston Villa, and Ivan Tony, we know, is a good player, but there's a bit of a question mark hanging over him when he comes back from his his absence at Brentford. So there's a space there in the England squad after Harry Kane, and and and, and Ketty will be hoping that he can grab it. And yeah, it's a really good sign that he's getting these chances, and, and maybe he will be. Yeah, we will see. I, I guess the big question mark is on Tony's return and, and what happens there. You know, there's obviously been links to Arsenal as well, but how uh, that position transpires. I mean, typically, I'm trying to think how many strikes. He usually does only take two, doesn't he, to the to the tournament, like out-and-out. Yeah, out, three, three, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, with obviously some players like Marcus Rashford who can play, you could argue it in both roles. So um, I guess that it would depend upon his minutes with, you know, players hopefully returning for Arsenal. I guess the majority of Arsenal fans would, in some kind of schadenfreude, if you like, you know, hope that he's not starting too many games because it would mean that Arsenal have got the majority of their usual starters back. Um, there were a number of players that pulled out of international duty, William Saliba, of course, being one, um, he's been managing a toe issue and playing with some pain and treatment for that pain throughout. It's, and I know that you reported as well before the break that it wasn't necessarily serious. Yes, yes. Um, sort of the people I spoke to at Arsenal told me that it's nothing to be too concerned about. It's an ongoing issue. It's something that he's been working with for a while. We spoke about this as well on our, our last week in the Clock End podcast, mm-hmm. didn't we? And yeah, I don't think Arsenal are too concerned about it. But I think if you look at the depth that France had in that centre-back position, Lucas Hernandez was playing, McCann, I think, played. They've got Kunde, they've got uh, Konate, Varane's not even in the squad. Saliba has got a lot of uh, fight on his hands, but also it means that if he's not fully fit, then I think the French can say, well, if you're not fully fit, we'd rather call up players who are 100% fit. And I think maybe that's a case of what happened over this international break. He possibly could have gone. But I think Arsenal decided that just with that injury, it'd be better to try and keep him and, and he withdrew from the squad um, due to that. Leandro uh, Trossard was the other that pulled out quite late. Uh, he obviously started against Man City, came off at half-time due to that injury, another hamstring tweak. Uh, has there been any kind of information regarding whether or not he would be, even be considered for this week or is it another issue that, that could be seeing him as out as long as he was last time? Again, it's, it's my understanding it's not too serious an issue. It's, it's a similar one to the one that he had that did see him miss the North London derby and the Brentford game, I believe. And then he came back to the squad for Bournemouth and then obviously started against uh, Lons and, and City. And it's, yeah, it's a flare-up of that again. I think Arsenal are managing that a little bit carefully. It's, it's a hamstring tweak. And I think he's just wanting to, to be careful with it. Going away with Belgium over this international break, I think he just decided, and as Arsenal decided again, that with these minor issues, a bit similar to Saka, I'm sure we'll get on to, but with these these relatively minor issues, no need to take any risks. And Arsenal will be hoping that he's back. We'll get more of an update on that tomorrow. But yeah, it's my understanding. It wasn't too serious an issue for, for Trossard. And I think the fact he was able to play on until half-time probably says, says quite a lot because uh, Arteta said, didn't he, it was around the half-hour mark that he started feeling his hamstrings. So the fact he was able to play until half-time suggests, hopefully, that it's not too serious and it's my understanding that it isn't too big an issue as it stands. Obviously, fans will want to and are desperate to kind of know about Bakaya Saka and, and what's going on because it, it's difficult to even gauge, you know, availability and things when players are sent on the, the to the hotel and with the team and, you know, the Arsenal are doing all they can and pulling out all the stops to kind of confuse and, um, and, and I suppose put the opposition into a full sense of security about who might and might not be playing. But, are we in any any the wise ahead of tomorrow's press conference about Saka's situation? There's no new updates in terms of what we knew from before the international break, where it's not deemed too serious an issue, a hamstring issue, of course, what it, what it was that kept uh, Saka out of the Man City game and then of the two England games during the international break. And England seemingly didn't believe Arsenal wanted to take him to St George's Park to assess him. They assessed him and they were like, oh, yeah, he does have a hamstring issue, so we'll leave him out of these couple of games. So... Um, Saka's had a couple of weeks rest um, as far as I'm aware he's he's been using that just to, to recover and I think Arsenal will, will make a decision on him going into the game I fully expect Mikel Arteta to give away nothing in his press conference tomorrow because that is his way and that's what he did before Man City and he had us all thinking that Saka might be available and then obviously he wasn't so 
I don't know uh, if we'll get any updates on that. I'd be very shocked if we did because Arteta likes to keep his cards close to his chest when it comes to giving away hints to the opposition. But as we've seen in the Manchester City game, if Arsenal are without Bukayo Saka, they have options to be able to replace him. And, you know, Gabriel Jesus from the right wing could be another thing that we see. Martinelli will hopefully be more fit this time around and ready to start. So there are options if, if Saka's not available. Reese Nelson, the Millsmith Road, Fabio Vieira, all there. Even Kai Havertz if needs to be. So there are options and Arsenal won't necessarily feel the need to rush him back. And I wonder if maybe that Manchester City game will have been a bit of a lesson to Arteta to say we don't need to play Saka in every single minute. You know, Arsenal can cope without him. Obviously, he's one of the best players, if not the best player at the football club, and they want him available for every minute of every game. But if he's not fully fit, I think Arsenal have proved themselves now that they're in a position with the depth of squad that they can just about cope without him and, and win big, important games, just like Chelsea is on, on Saturday, even though Chelsea are sort of out of, out of sorts from the way we know them. It's still a difficult game, and obviously they'd like to have Saka available. But if he's not, I think Arsenal will be confident they can they can cope without him. Yeah, uh, indeed. I think it was obviously a big test. I think Jesus playing on the right did fantastically well against City and, and showed that there is potential for him to to play there if, if need be. We've got Nketiah and Havertz, as you mentioned as well. You know, that can play at centre forward. Trossard himself has played at centre forward, done very well last season. So there are options there. Um, the player that I guess is is obviously other than Martinelli, who we know has returned already. Uh, with his performance against Man City and that two weeks would have been a real big benefit, I think, for him to, to rest and recover and um, and build up some more fitness. The other player is Thomas Partey, who played for Ghana. Uh, he was involved in quite a damaging defeat uh, against the United States. Balogun, of course, featuring in that game as well. And actually, a friend of mine, Mike McDonald, who does lots of writing around Arsenal, was at the game and spoke to Thomas Partey and asked him whether he was fit, to which he said, I'm fully fit. So uh, that's obviously a really positive thing. Do you kind of expect Partey now to come back into the team? And my question would be, where because before he left he was playing in this hybrid fullback position but obviously we saw him play with rice uh, in the community shield in midfield and i know a lot of fans will be hoping that he returns in midfield yeah god i don't want to see thomas Partey right back again i just don't think it worked earlier in the season as a as an experiment i think ben white has been playing really really well since he was moved back into that position i think gabriel has done really well since he came back into the side Zinchenko is fit now, so I don't think you need to have Partey in there as that sort of right-sided Zinchenko uh, alternative, if you like. I think you can put him back into his best position, which is obviously that number six, that defensive midfield position where he's played really well for Arsenal since since he arrived. And yeah, we saw in the community shield, like you mentioned there, that midfield three of, of Thomas Partey, Declan Rice and Martin Odegaard. I've written about this on, on the website, and I think this could be the first chance we get to see it in the Premier League. There have been various inhibitions and, and reasons as to why Arsenal haven't been able to do that. There's been injuries throughout the midfield, throughout the defence. Partey's been out, as I mentioned before. Zinchenko's been out. Uh, Julian Timber's injury has meant they've had to fill in various players at fullback that maybe wouldn't have played fullback otherwise. And Tommy Asu's suspension and, and various different things have just meant that Arsenal haven't quite been able to get that midfield three out onto the pitch. Now, I feel as though this is their chance to, to really do that. And I think it's a midfield three that Mikel Arteta would have started against Manchester City if he could have done. So obviously Partey wasn't fully fit. And I think the plan was play Partey for about half an hour against Lons and then start him against Man City. As it turned out, Arsenal needed a goal against Lons. Bringing on a defensive midfielder didn't really make sense. So they had to wait to play him. And he was on the bench against City and Jorginho started. But I think the fact Jorginho started that game is proof that Partey would have played if he were fit. So it would have been a midfield three. And I wonder if this is the kind of thing we'll see from Arteta in these bigger games where Arsenal need a little bit more defensive solidity. And yeah, there'll be some who go to Chelsea and say, look, Arsenal are a better team. They're the, the better players at the minute. 
they're in better form and maybe they should go out there and play Havertz and Odegaard in front of Rice and really go for Chelsea. But I don't know if that's the best approach at Stamford Bridge. I think you do still have to respect the opponent and you do still have to respect the fact that Chelsea have some very good players and some very good midfielders. So I think if I were Mikel Arteta, I'd be looking to go for that three of Rice, Partey, Odegaard. It's the three I've wanted to see pretty much throughout the whole of this season. It's the three I really want to see more regularly for Arsenal, um, especially in these big games, because I think it gives you that perfect blend of Rice's physicality, but also technical security, Partey's ability to evade the press and, and get Arsenal up the pitch. And we all also know what Martin Odegaard brings to the team in the final third, as well as when it comes to the press and defensively. And, and Arsenal want to play towards the opposition goal and away from their own goal and, and go to away stadiums and, and really dominate like they do at the Emirates. Then they need a midfield that can keep hold of the ball win the ball back nice and high as well. And I just think that trio is the one to do it for them. So hopefully that's the, the trio that we'll see. Hopefully we won't see Partey back in at right back because it, it's not a thing that I think works particularly well for Arsenal. I think you lose far more than you gain by putting in there. So yeah, hopefully Arsenal can can go to that midfield trio and, and have the back four that we all we all know and love from last season. Yeah. Um, if they can't, you know, Saliba, for instance, we know it's not necessarily serious, but they wanted to change him out. Tommy Asu's been excellent at centre-half of Japan. Again, um, played really, really well. They're, the Japan are playing fantastic football and their recent form and record is excellent going into next year's Asia Cup as well, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about when we get closer to that point. And, and what missing players like Tommy Asu, of course, potentially as well. well definitely, we, we are sure that, that Partey and El Nenny will be going off and playing against one another in the African Cup of Nations. Both those sides were drawn in the same group as well. So whether that's a good or bad thing, because either one or both or neither will return early, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, international breaks often bring discussions around transfers as well. And the biggest story, I suppose, has been these links between Emil Smith-Rowe and Newcastle emerging over the last couple of weeks as well. We've seen Arsenal do business with Newcastle before. Um, we've seen Joe Willock leave there for a, a good amount of money, which Arsenal haven't necessarily regretted parting ways with, with Willock in that sense. Do you think that there is more emphasis on Arsenal maybe turning down the idea of allowing Smith Road to move to a potential rival considering their, their rise up the table? So when Chelsea came in for Arsenal uh, for Smith Road, well, they didn't necessarily come in and offer a bid, but he was certainly on the list. and They showed interest late in the window and they really wanted a, a wide player forward they looked at smith Rowe before they pivoted to cole palmer and arsenal were equivocal in saying no not for sale and they have been throughout this whole summer because emil smith Rowe is a player who has three years left on his contract and he's a player who they feel can still really contribute to this team the issue is that's not necessarily translated in terms of minutes and Mikel arteta's message has always been just wait you'll get your chance but i feel like for emil smith Rowe, having come back and finally started playing pain-free and injury-free for the first consistent time in his in his career, he's surely at a position where he's thinking, I can't afford to wait for you. I can't afford to wait for my chance. I want to be playing. And he's looking at the Euros next summer and he's looking at the chances to get into the, the England squad and the chances to, to kick on and fulfil his potential because injuries have held him back. And now he's over those injuries. He really can kick on and fulfil his potential. And he's thinking, I don't know if I can wait. And... The signings of Fabio Vieira, the signings of Kai Havertz suggest that Mikel Arteta is moving on and starting to think about life without him. And it seems strange to think because a couple of years ago, Mills throw on that left wing was so, so crucial. But now with Zinchenko coming in and inverting rather than Kieran Tierney overlapping, you've got Martinelli holding the width a bit more on the left and just makes a bit more sense to have Martinelli there. Trossard is also an option on the left. You look at the right eight spot, Martin Odegaard has that unlock because he is the club captain and he's not going anywhere. Vieira's probably next in line. Left eight is Kai Havertz and Vieira's played there this season. Smith-Rowe's getting sort of feeding off scraps. He's not really getting these chances. So 
I don't begrudge him sort of seeing what's out there. And I wonder if maybe there have been some sort of, uh, I guess, noises being made where Smith Rowe is, is, is not necessarily happy with his situation. I think he's quite right to be unhappy because he's an excellent player and he's someone who can contribute a lot to these Arsenal games this season. I think he's someone who, if Mikel Arteta uses him more, certainly can provide an impact off the bench or even starting games. So I wouldn't like to see him leave Arsenal because I think there's a player there and there's a really top quality player there who can be a real asset to Arsenal going forward. But at the same time, I don't think you could really begrudge him a move if he wanted to go to Newcastle. My question is, with going to Newcastle, is he necessarily guaranteeing himself the first team football that he wants? And that's not saying that I don't think he's a better player than a lot of the players that are at Newcastle. But if you look at the competition he has for places, maybe he'd be better off going somewhere else where he's more likely to be guaranteed a starting spot. But then again, he's always responded very positively to competition. He's responded positively when Gabriel Martinelli came in in that first season when he was starting those games on the left wing. Martinelli came in and there was a sort of a, a period of the season where they were almost alternating games and one would come in and score and then the other would come in and score. And Smith Rowe has shown that he can, he can deal with that competition. He can handle it really well and he's applied himself in training at Arsenal really well, even with the competition in the midfield. I just wonder if maybe he'll be starting to look elsewhere. And yeah, like I say, I don't think if a good offer came in, anyone would necessarily begrudge him leaving. And I don't think Arsenal would necessarily uh, be in a position where they couldn't consider it. What a good offer is, I don't know. Um, 40, 50 million, I think would be a fantastic piece of business if Arsenal can get that from us, Smith Rowe. But um, I guess that remains to be seen. It's all hypotheticals, isn't it, at the moment? Yeah, of course it is. Um, it's it's difficult when obviously there's been a player that's risen from the, the youth side and there's such an attachment with the fans. He's got his own chant, of course, as well. And, you know, I've always kind of been on trying to look more, you know, trying to detach the emotion, if you like, and look at it from a, a resources for the manager kind of standpoint. And if he's a player that Arteta's not necessarily using as much and it doesn't necessarily see like an immediate pathway into the team, as you've discussed, kind of all the avenues that are really blocked for him. And I just feel as though maybe a, a player of that financial worth on the bench every single week, is there a better option that Arsenal could move for in, in the future? And I guess we'll find the answer to that in the next couple of transfer windows or maybe beyond that, maybe we'll have to wait and see. What we did see over the break, though, is, is Edu make a, a bit of a trip. I don't know if you saw this, he went to Brazil and uh, met with a lot of the executives and people at Fluminense uh, in Brazilian Serie A. Uh, the, the move, it was kind of a, like a trip, any kind of transfers that we're aware of. It was just looking at kind of technologies and how the clubs run and some of the things they're doing. And we know that Edu has been building up relationships with a number of Brazilian clubs. You know, they had the discussions over the deal for Marquinhos with Sao Paulo. And obviously they, they worked that deal very nicely so that they still paid them a fee and kept a good partnership and relationship with that club. And Arsenal in particular, as we've reported at Football.London, have been doing a lot of work in South America to, to improve scouting, to look at potential targets. And off the back of that uh, trip to Fluminense, there were suggestions coming out from a number of outlets that Andre, the 22-year-old Brazilian midfielder, uh, emerged as a potential target that Arsenal were looking at. His defensive midfielder, we've done a, a few pieces on Football.London over the last few days about him and who he is and what he brings. And he is an exciting young player that certainly, according to those that have watched him regularly, is ready for a move to Europe. Um, and at 22, and with Arsenal, with El Nenny and Partey and Jorginho all reaching that 30-plus period, you'd imagine that defensive midfield is an area that they'll be looking at in the near future. What do you make of this Edu trip to, to Brazil again, the, the links with South American players and Andre in, in particular? I think you, you mentioned it already there when you say that Edu is trying to, to forge Arsenal's relationships in South America. And 
create a bit of a pipeline like some big teams in Europe have when it comes to sort of securing South American talent. It's a real pool for some of the best players in the world who are coming through, best young players in the world. And I think Arsenal want a piece of that action. Now, that is something that's very difficult to do if you haven't got those long-term historical links. And, and Eddie was trying to build that. Like you say, with the Marquinhos deal, that's something he's trying to do. And I think he wants to, in an ideal world, sort of set up, set up some, some sort of feeder situation where... Arsenal can go over there and they can see the best players in Brazil and they can sort of cherry pick a few that they want. And that'd be fantastic if Arsenal can do that because look at Barcelona and Real Madrid, you know, Neymar, Vinicius Jr., Hendrik is the next on the pipeline. Victor Roque, I think, is another one who is signed for Barcelona. There's plenty of them across history and Arsenal have done it a little bit. Gabriel Martinelli is a perfect example of that. Uh, Marquinhos, as you mentioned there, all the way back in the day, I think Wellington Silva came from, from Fluminense, if, if any Arsenal fans listening can remember him all the way back. So it's not something that's necessarily completely brand new, but it's something they're definitely wanting to do a lot more of. And listen, Edu has fantastic links in South America from his time there. He worked at Corinthians, he worked with the Brazilian national team. So why not exploit that to, to help Arsenal's chances of getting good value in the market? The European market is very competitive. You're up against some very, very rich teams with some very, very ambitious projects for, for players who are looking to take the next step in their career. Not to mention the fact that Saudi Arabia are also coming in and offering huge amounts of money for players that Arsenal not can't necessarily compete with on a consistent basis. So with that in mind, why not start looking at alternative avenues? And this is a really positive thing from the Arsenal transfer team because they don't close the door to anything. They stay open. They remain open to all possibilities. And I think that's something that has served them in really good stead in recent years. So yeah, I think Edu's going to, to Fluminense or to South America in general, Brazil in general is, is smart. I think it's trying to build good relations in a, a part of the world that is known for as a breeding ground for footballing talent as for Andre in particular I can't say I've heard specifics on that but I guess it would make sense in the sense that like you say Arsenal probably will need a defensive midfielder relatively soon because Jorginho, Partey, Elneny are all over 30 and all approaching the ends of their respective contracts and Charlie Patino is doing really really well at Swansea and there's a hope for him in the future certainly he's someone who Arteta had a conversation with before he went on loan and said look go to Swansea impress there then we'll see where you are in a year's time and there's a hope that he can maybe become someone who can contribute to the first-team squad. But in the long term, the only player whose future is definitely at Arsenal in that defensive midfield position over the next two, three years is, is Declan Rice. So, yeah, they do need to start looking beyond um, for that position and start thinking about it. So, yeah, I suppose Andre would make sense if there is uh, those links are, are sort of to be believed. Absolutely. Uh, obviously, that leaves us in a position now to look ahead to the weekend um, and the game against Chelsea. Just briefly on kind of uh, competition, there are today some interesting quotes, finally, from Aaron Ramsdale, uh, dropping about his position um, and his frustrations. Uh, he's, he's done an interview in which he said, whether it is me or David who plays, we need to be able to just focus and play, but at the same time, it's strange. Um we have to deal with it and what it is what we are doing. He continues by saying, if we didn't get on, it wouldn't work. Uh, we work professionally really well together. There are days where I come in and I'm down because of the situation and he picks me up. For whatever reason, there might be a day where he's down and even though I'm suffering and hurting for not playing, I have to stand up and be able to push him. Would you make of those comments from, from Ramsdale? It's very open and honest as we've come to expect from him. Yeah, I think it's to be expected. I think he's handled the situation really well in terms of being... Uh, as his dad said on Twitter, showing some class. And I think he's done it the right way. I think um, 
he could have thrown his toys out of the pram. There's been Arsenal goalkeepers in the past. I remember, I think it was Jens Lehmann refused to help Manuel Almunia in training or something like that, or they refused to help him warm up. You know, that you can have those kind of adversarial relationships or you can choose to make the best of the situation. And Aaron Ramsell and David Dyer are supposedly, I mean, supposedly, I know firsthand from having spoken to a lot of people, they are excellent professionals, both of them. And no matter how difficult this situation was going to get, I think they were always going to sort of deal with each other cordially because... You know, it's not necessarily David Raya's fault that Aaron Ramsdale isn't in the team or vice versa. It's Mikel Arteta's and it's his decision at the end of the day. So if they're going to get angry at anyone, it doesn't really make sense to get angry at each other. And I guess something that people struggle to understand, particularly people who haven't been goalkeepers, is that goalkeepers union It is really a thing. It's not just something they say. It's a thing where they really, really do want to help each other and they train all the time together and they're close. And I think... It's like any job, you know, if you're, if you're not really getting on well with your colleagues day to day, it's going to make life a lot more difficult. So they try to sort of make things as cordial as possible on a day to day basis. You wouldn't expect Darren Ramsdale to come out and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm totally fine with the situation. I'm, I'm happy being number two at Arsenal. It's great. I've lost my place, but I'm still getting paid. Who cares? Of course, he's going to come out and say, look, there's the Euros coming up. I want to challenge Jordan Pickford for the number one spot. I want to be Arsenal's number one, too. I want to play Champions League football. I want to play in the biggest games in the Premier League like David Raya has been doing. And... You know, I think that makes perfect sense. So it's exactly what I'd expect Aaron Ramsdale to say in an interview. And um, yeah, away with England duty, I kind of expected these kind of things to come up because Arsenal were wanting to protect him and keep him away from the media spotlight. But I think away with England, it made sense just sort of in terms of timing to talk about that. And often when players go away with their international teams, they can talk a little bit more candidly about their club situation. And, and Ramsdale seems to have taken the opportunity to do that. But I think those comments are absolutely fine. I don't think Arteta will have any issues with it. I don't think Raya will have any issues with it. Raya, of course, did an interview of his own where he said something pretty similar, where he said, you know, if Aaron's down, I pick him up. And if I'm down, Aaron picks me up. It was, it was pretty similar. So I think that's the kind of stuff that you can expect to hear from those two goalkeepers. And they're going to fight it out. It does look as though Raya's kind of won the battle already. And Ramsdale will have to start thinking about other options if he wants to maybe make a number one spot for the Euros. But... I can't see him necessarily leaving in January without Arsenal bringing in a replacement. So, yeah, it'll be a, a tough one for Ramsdale going forward. But I think a, a strong interview from him, a strong set of statements and, yeah, pretty decent stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's always going to be difficult for a goalkeeper in his position, obviously, when you've been starting so many games and then somebody else comes in and, and almost gets in straight away, which is ironically the same kind of process which he found himself in with Burnt Leno, of course. So swings and roundabouts, I guess. Um, Chelsea, though, obviously this weekend, they're on a bit of form now. They've won their last two games. Um, Arsenal, of course, coming off the back of that huge boost of beating Manchester City. Arsenal played in a very specific way against City, it's probably fair to say. It's difficult to see, you know, going into this game against Chelsea, how we approach it. Because I remember the game last year was very dominant from Arsenal. It was only a 1-0 win, of course, but it felt like a game. And one of the first times we've gone to Stamford Bridge in a long time as the better team, the more dominant team, the team that looked like they were going to win. Whereas, you know, seasons prior, even though we've got good results at Stamford Bridge, it's always been like games played on the counter and latching onto mistakes like we saw with Nketiah and that Andreas Christensen one with Martinelli on Kante. Um, you know, so how do you kind of expect this one to, to be played out? Similar to last season, I think. I think Arsenal will go with as close to the same lineup as they can. Obviously, Granit Xhaka is not there anymore, so I imagine that he'll be replaced in the lineup by Declan Rice. And I think it will more or less be the same, uh, or as close to the same 11 as, as it was at Stamford Bridge last season as, as you can get. I think it'll be Ryer instead of Ramsdale, but I think Arsenal will stick with the back four, assuming everyone's fit, that, that did so well for them last season. If, if Partey's fit to start, I, re I reckon he'll start. 
know, Saka's fit to start. I expect him to start. I expect Martinelli to start. Hopefully, that means you can bring Jesus back into the middle and, of course, that Chelsea defence lots of problems. Obviously, Chelsea are a very different team from when Arsenal played them in the first half of last season because they've been through two transfer windows and they signed about 150 different players in that time. So, you know, there's been a lot of chopping and changing at Chelsea. They're a very different team, whereas Arsenal are a very similar team in, in many senses. Obviously, Arsenal have evolved, but sort of a lot of the, the basic currents are still there from Arsenal, whereas Chelsea have changed manager twice since then. They've brought in, like I say, innumerate numbers of players and they've, they've evolved. So it's difficult to really get a, a handle on Chelsea because just before the international break, they were starting to pick up a bit of momentum. They got a couple of decent results in a row, admittedly against not the best teams in the world in the Premier League. So, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. I think Arsenal will, will go there confident, but they'll go there wary as well. Sorry, as well, at the fact that Chelsea have got some really good players. And yes, it hasn't clicked for them so far, but Raheem Sterling is still a fantastic player. Caicedo is a player that Arsenal wanted. Uh, Mudrick seems destined to score just because of the narrative and just because of the way football works. So there's lots of stuff that could go against Arsenal. And, and I think Mikel Arteta will do a, a strong job in terms of just keeping his players aware that they can't take anything for granted. Chelsea are still a dangerous team, even if they're not the Chelsea that they were a couple of years ago. So there's something, someone that you can't really rule out when it comes to a, a tough game. And I expect it to be a difficult game for Arsenal, but I do expect them to, to come out on top. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how Arsenal deal with this game and, and who, of course, Chelsea might pick. And players like Caicedo, players like Mudrick, all the narratives are there, of course, as well, as are there for Arsenal. You know, Kai Havertz returning to Stamford Bridge for the first time. Um I've seen discussions between Chelsea fans online this week about whether or not they should boo him or not, which has been quite hilarious to read through. Um, what do you make of both he and Jorginho, of course, returning to Stamford Bridge for the first time and the narrative that surrounds those two? Yeah, um, I don't think they should be booed, but Chelsea fans like booing players. Um, you know, it's not something that I would necessarily put past them. Uh, I think with Habert, it was just a case of it kind of had reached an <clears throat> sorry, it had reached a natural end. Like mm. Chelsea were happy to move on because they wanted to bring in new players and they needed to generate funds. And Havertz was in a position where he was kind of stuck in a rut and wanted to, to try something new. So I would think that their relationship is still relatively strong. And he put out, you know, all the positive messages that he needs to put out when you leave a club. He didn't sort of go and slag off the fans a la, I don't know, Samir Nasri a few years ago that created sort of a bit of negativity. I think it was just a case of um, Havertz needed something new and Arsenal came along and it was a good project for him so uh, a similar thing with Jorginho where you know Chelsea I think were happy to move on from him um, I think they'd probably regret letting him go given that you know they had some struggles in midfield but they brought in Enzo Fernandez that, that January they brought in Moises Caicedo since then um, they've given Conor Gallagher lots of minutes I'm sure there must be some midfield signing that I'm forgetting because they've made so many but they've, they've made lots of different adjustments in that midfield position and you're going to mention one that yeah, I got is Kokwu, is, what, what's his name? Um, oh, the, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, sure. Him too. Um, you know, there's been plenty of them. Uh, and I just think, yeah, Chelsea are in a position where they've, they've moved on. And I think it's worked out well for, for all parties. And, you know, um, Chelsea want to build in youth. They want to invest in younger players. Jorginho clearly isn't that, even though he's got a lot to offer still. So I think the move just came at the right time. And, um, yeah, I think it worked out well. Um, whether that means he won't be booed, whether, I think you know he's, he's done a lot. Chelsea won the Champions League there. Won, did he win the Premier League? Yeah, he won a few Premier Leagues, in fact, yeah. um, while he was yeah. there. So he's got a good legacy with Chelsea. Um, but you know whether they'll choose to remember that or not, I guess we'll see on Saturday afternoon. Um, I'm just checking out. Did he win the Premier League uh, honours? Uh, Chelsea 
No, you never won the Premier League with Chelsea. Champions League, Europa League, Super Cup, Club World Cup, FA Cup runner-up a number of times, three times, in fact, and an EFL Cup runner-up, but never won the Premier League. Maybe he'll get his first one with Arsenal. (laughs) Have to wait and see, of course. Same for for Havertz, too. Um, The the narratives around, you mentioned them already, Caicedo and and Mudrik are the, the two Chelsea players I think Arsenal fans will be looking at probably the most. Caicedo... The amount of money that Chelsea spent on him, and I know Arsenal spent a very similar amount, but I remember at the start of the summer, there was a lot of talk from Arsenal fans about the idea of Arsenal signing both Caicedo and Rice. Based upon what we see with both of those transfers and how they eventually played out, that proved surely to be next to impossible for Arsenal to pull off. That was the plan in January uh, when they thought they could get Caicedo for around 70, 75 million. Caicedo then went on and signed a new contract with Brighton, which made things a lot more complicated. And yeah. um, I think he was willing to try and do his bit to ensure they got good value for him. So plans change and Arsenal shifted to Jorginho. And once they had Jorginho, Partey, El Nene and wanted Declan Rice as well, I think it was always unlikely that we're going to get both Caicedo and, and Rice. And as we reiterated throughout the summer, you know, the plan was that in January, but it did change. And Chelsea then came in and they were willing to to pay what, what Brighton wanted. And, you know, they tried to go up in incremental uh bids and you know i think brighton were very clear that, you know either you pay this or you, you don't and chelsea eventually were willing to pay and i think that's a problem for them in the transfer market now and with both mudrick and caicedo they've shown that they're not willing to walk away from deals and i think arsenal have shown that they are so when it comes to negotiations arsenal can legitimately say take it or leave it when it comes to an offer whereas i think if chelsea go in the start of the, the start of the summer and say for caicedo 80 million take it or leave it brighton will say well we know you're coming back we know you're not going to walk away from this deal. Whereas with Arsenal, with their track record of having walked away from deals, not just for Madrid and Caicedo, but also for Lissandro uh, Martinez or Joao Felix or Dusan Blaivic or Alexander Isak or plenty of others, they can legitimately say, well, okay, um, you know, we might consider letting you have it for a slightly cheaper price. And I just think that leaves Arsenal in a much stronger negotiating position. And yeah, Moises Caicedo and Mikhailo Madrid might play better than, than Arsenal. Uh, Arsenal's alternatives on the day but I still think in the long run um, Arsenal did the right thing when it came to both of those players and I know Eddie got a lot of stick for not being able to land either of them but um, you know sometimes you need to think about the long-term interest of the club and I think he did that and I think it worked out pretty well for Arsenal in the end yeah, absolutely it did um, very interesting to see um, kind of what happens with, with Mudrick especially in his future if he does turn into a player that you know Arsenal really thought it was going to be the next big thing, or whether or not it doesn't work out for him at Chelsea. Caicedo, everyone kind of reveled in that debut at West Ham. I think it was West Ham um, that didn't go too well. He gave away a penalty and came on, and you know it wasn't particularly great. But I think in the last couple of weeks, in particular, has, has shown you know the quality that they bought. Um, but I think you know of the two between Caicedo and Rice, I think Arsenal certainly managed to get the better, in my view, of, of the two players. Certainly the one that would fit Arsenal the best. But I am slightly biased, so there is that to, to consider as well. well. That's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's, it's the fit. It's like, I think a lot of these comparisons miss that. So people compare Trossard and Mudrick. They're two completely different players. Trossard is an experienced uh, Premier League player who's coming in with hatfuls of Belgian caps, ready to go straight away, whereas Mudrick was always going to be a player who needed a bit of time to adapt, playing in the Ukrainian league getting up to speed, completely different, more of a speedster, Trossard, more of a technician. Caicedo and Rice, more similar, but also different players. And I just think that yeah, people get a bit too bogged down with the comparisons uh, sometimes. I think you can just appreciate all the players as they are. Yeah. 
Great. Yeah, I absolutely think that you can. Um, and uh, I, I look forward to what that, that I mean, Arsenal midfield in particular. You think about where we're at with Odegaard and Rice, but Partey, you'd think, is coming toward the end of his time uh, in the next couple of years or so based upon his age group and how they end up completing that midfield three and who they bring in despite initially wanting Kaiseido. I'm intrigued to see who it is that, that comes in. Um, just to finish, obviously, Maurizio Pochettino returns to facing Arsenal for the first time after his time with, with Spurs. How have you? What have you made of, of kind of his impact at, at Chelsea? And is it still very much too early to kind of assess things based upon the chaos that he's had to inherit? I think he's, in many ways, been exactly what they needed because it was always going to be chaotic at the start of this season. So it meant that they needed a manager who would have enough credit in the bank with the fans to be able to say, "Don't worry, I've got this. Don't freak out." And Chelsea fans, in fairness to them, even though things haven't been going to plan, as far as I'm aware, from my Chelsea supporting friends and from sort of limited interactions on social media, I can tell they seem to be not happy with the way things are going, but understanding of the situation and understanding of the fact that you're not going to have success overnight and it is a long-term thing. And I think when you've got a manager with a track record of particularly in the Premier League, having produced really good results over a long period of time, not necessarily winning anything, but producing really good results with Spurs, you know, taking them from a team that was barely finishing in the Europa League positions to a team that made the Champions League final, as much as this is an Arsenal podcast and we don't like reveling in Spurs' success, that was very impressive. And, um, you know, it's not necessarily the easiest thing to do. I think Chelsea fans will think, with Poch, we've got a guy who could possibly do the same. And they'll be looking at that and they'll be just holding their tongue a little bit when it comes to the criticisms they have of the team. And I think Poch has been very calm. He's not sort of caused any media storms. He's not come out and said anything bad like an Antonio Conte might have done or a Mourinho might have done. He's just been very calm, steadying the ship, which has gone through some very turbulent waters. And I think given the madness of what goes on upstairs at Chelsea, I think you need someone like that, a bit of a calming presence and also someone with the charisma and the track record, which Graham Potter didn't have. So when Chelsea weren't quite going to plan last season, Graham Potter couldn't say, well, look at what I've done in the past. Just calm down. It's going to be all right. Potch can do that. And I think that's going to be his his trump card to play when it comes to the season, which I don't think would be too good for Chelsea, but I do think they'll get better and I do think they're making they're making some steps in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. Agree. Um, Kaya, thank you so much for your time uh, this afternoon. Very much appreciate it. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, not particularly. Um, press conference will be 9am on Friday UK time, so do join myself and Tom for coverage of that, um, all the updates that are coming from that and then of course the game is 5.30 but we'll have a live vlog going from half one if I'm not mistaken on Saturday so yeah join us there uh, for all the coverage of the game and the build up because it's going to be a good one yeah it's going to be an interesting one for sure uh, as Kai said you can follow all that coverage on London from Stamford Bridge uh, with our Chelsea colleagues of course as well if you happen to be watching and are a Chelsea fan you can follow the Chelsea coverage there as well um, but thank you again Kai for, for jumping in you can find Kai on Twitter at Kai Karnak 97 and of course on Facebook as well with Kai Karnak you can find myself at Tom Canton Media uh, on social media as well and you can follow all of our updates leading into the game against Chelsea on the website we will see you again very soon have a fantastic day morning afternoon wherever you happen to be in the world very much appreciate your listenership drop a like subscribe but very close to 100,000 on the Arsenal way so thank you so much for listening and if you're listening on audio platforms you can also leave a review as well thank you we'll see you again soon and as always keep following us down the Arsenal way